the quotes, the concepts, the philosophies, the ideas that are the most impactful are the ones that you're not really sure if you believe and you got to chew on a little bit. Um, and this is one of those lines. Um, I'm still chewing on, but I guess that makes it good. Um, to improve is to change and to perfect is to change constantly. Welcome to the Jamodi podcast, where we interview coaches and leaders to find out not just what they do, but how they do what they do. Becoming the best version of ourselves is Jamodi, just a matter of doing it. Today, we are joined by Tyler Costin. Tyler has been a part of PGC as an athlete and league director for over 20 years. Now he spends his time coaching coaches. Tyler's created the Lock Left Defensive System, the Race and Pace Offensive System, and the Savvy Shooting System. In this episode, Tyler discusses the best thing he's borrowed lately, how to teach shooting and confidence, post-game strategies, building a culture, and if he could start over in coaching, what would he do differently? Before we hear from Tyler, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamodi Podcast. What is up, man? What is up? Oh, it is just a matter of doing it. Let's go. Let's go. It's Jamodi, baby. It's Jamodi. It's Jamodi. Who was I talking to? I was talking with somebody, and they were talking about Baylor. They they'd gone to Baylor like right after you, and they were like talking about like the craziest story of Baylor basketball. I was like, I actually know someone <laughs> who went through it. And there's a book you got to read. Nice. Um, so it was, it was really interesting. Like they were talking like an expert. I'm like, no, I have a friend. Yeah, so, you so. actually are more connected to it than they are. <laughs> Thanks for that one sale, man. If I if I look and see this, that one kind of ping at a month, I, I know it's you. What's the best thing that you borrowed lately? The best thing that I borrowed lately was, I would say it's going to be, Socrates said that wisdom is in simplicity um, and simplicity is sophistication. So I borrowed that from ages past and I've tried to cut every email in half, every text in half and every piece of advice in half. Every email in half. I'm just thinking of the, the parent email I sent out last night that was probably 500 words long. Uh, what are some advantages or what are some things that you've seen in your life kind of grow from that? The greatest one is time. You know, all of us kind of dream of winning the lottery or becoming a millionaire. Mm. And we think of millionaire in terms of dollars and cents. Um, and I'm attempting, it's hard in our society and culture today, but I'm attempting to become a time millionaire. Um, and so that's been the greatest benefit because when I have that more time, oh my goodness, I'm able to create more, serve more, love more, be more present, be more healthy. Um, so that's probably the greatest thing um when it comes to coaching now which is i think what will a lot of coaches will really be interested in the best coaches that i've observed speak the least mm. so the the most beginner coaches will be constantly giving concurrent feedback get out of the corner pass the ball to davy davy drive to the layup constantly right um, whereas whereas i watched greg popovich coach and he was <laughs> quiet for 20 minutes yeah. just observing so so how does it apply to you as a coach observe more and speak less beginner coaches can see all the mistakes but the expert coaches identify the keystone habit mm -hmm. that if they coach that one keystone habit and simplify down 
will then have a cascading and domino effect to improve so many mistakes. That's where expertise comes. It's not in identifying problems, it's in correcting the right ones. I think that'll be a, a great impact or what it'll challenge coaches with is, okay, for my offensive philosophy, I have 19 principles right now. I have to streamline and become, uh, like you said, simpler with it. It'll, it'll help our coaching, but I think that'll be a challenge for some at, at the beginning is doing less, saying less. Oh, I mean, because it, it feels like you're lazy, mm. right? Because oftentimes coaches are the, they care the most of the entire team, including the players. And they're like, why does everybody care? And so they show they care by how animated they are on the sideline or how much they can fill the gym with their voice. And one thing that I attempt to, to coach coaches into is show you care about how you prepare. It's less visible, mm. but if you're doing it, because you are truly competitive, you'll care about the impact and not what it looks like to others. I mean, so many parents or novices in the game will see a coach sitting on the bench and misinterpret that as in they aren't coaching their team. That's right. Um, and, right? And, yeah. and, and you have to fight against that because really that's just a status play. Like you can either play status games or you can play winning games. And if you're always playing status games, you'll never truly win. So you probably wouldn't like some of my clips where I'm defensive sliding down the sideline. Uh, so I, I won't send those to you. Well, but Well, hey, I here it is. If it's intentional, yeah, because – Or authentic, like or, if, it, if you're just really in the moment and you just – yeah, but – Yeah, but but again, we got limited energy going back like yeah. time millionaires. We have, we have limited thought space as well. And often, not always – Often, when the coach is contesting a three in the corner from out of bounds, they're probably not thinking three plays in advance, right? That's so right. Like, that's like, like picture Brad Stevens. Like some, like a novice could watch Brad Stevens and think he's not passionate about the game, but anyway, knows knows he's passionate about the yeah. game, but he's thinking ten plays in advance, and that's just it's just another level. Um, and we got to create space for that. So, like, I I love it when coaches have notebooks out at practice. And they're writing things down. And what, what I always tell coaches, just try it for one practice. When you see something, write it down. And make sure you write three things down, three things down before you say one thing. Hmm. That's a simple way to simplify, right? Because then, you, because then you're prioritizing. So like when the English word priority was first introduced into language in the 1500s, it was singular. There was no such thing as priorities. A priority is singular. And so going back to your 19 things in your offense, there's, it's not bad to have 19 teaching points, right? But what I think you need to know or every coach needs to know and every player in your team needs to know is what's the most important one. Yeah. Because if they don't know the hierarchy of those 19 things, they might give them equal attention. Right. And that's what happens if you look at a coach's practice plan, right? They've got 19 things that they care about as a coach and they give them equal attention, whereas they don't have equal impact. Um, so simplicity equals identifying a priority and that priority might be different for your offense and your defense or the mm. day or the, the season within your season. Um, but I think that's what simplifying is. You said something a second ago, and I, I've heard this from a, a, a bunch of coaches about the perception of the parents. And I, I think, so my, my question is, is we have to do our best through communication, through meeting with them. So like our team's culture, if only our 15 guys 
know the culture and live the culture, but there's no carryover at home. There's no connection at home. Those parents don't care. They don't care about all the things that we're teaching. It's all that what they see and perceive. So they're at a game and they see us just sitting and taking it in more, less active, but that's what they're used to. How do we help connect them to, listen, I am not just sitting over here collecting a paycheck. I'm actually doing a better job for your, for your sons. Yeah. That's a really good question, and that's part of why I think you're so good at this, is you, you bring it down to application really, really well. Let me answer two ways. First way, um, I don't do much training of players anymore, but there's a family friend that I was training recently. He flew out from New York City to spend a week with me with his dad um, because he's going into high school, and he, want, he wants to play college basketball. So we set out a blueprint. He and his dad came out for a week. Most trainers will have the parent on the sideline filming with their cell phone and they'll put the kid through the workout. I didn't say, I said very little to the kid that I didn't also say to the dad. Hmm. Because here's what I know and it's what you know is when they leave and go back to New York, it's his dad that's going to be in his ear. Yep. So the dad thought I was training the kid. No, I was training the dad. <laughs> I was training the dad because the dad had a, a, a perception that this was the way that was wrong. And I was trying to coach the dad into this perception because no one's going to impact the trajectory of a player's career, in my opinion, more than their parents. Mm. Like coaches are gonna have a big impact, but only as much as the parent gets on board with it. That's right. So here's the second way I would ask every coach, who's on your team? Like, who do you see as on your team? Who are you coaching? Who are you leading? And I think that there's actually four stakeholders that you need to see as on your team. How most coaches see parents is the opponent, right. the enemy, someone to keep his arm's length. And you're never going to have as much success as you could as if you saw them as on your team. You got to coach your parents, you got to coach your players, you got to coach your coaches, and you got to coach your administration. Like they're all on your team. And I think the coaches that embrace that, knowing that it's a bigger job, then they can have success because everybody's rowing the boat in the same direction. Um, if you're not rowing the boat in the same direction, it's hard to go anywhere. Uh, that's a great nugget. I'm thinking of, uh, especially earlier on, how it was more of a us versus them mentality. But the more that we can bring them into our culture, that's why I've always been amazed with the connection that players and parents have with their select programs and select coaches. And, and there's times where, it almost as if they talk about them in more of a, of a fond way than the guy that's with them 187 days throughout the year. But I, as a parent, now my son's going into ninth grade and we're doing the select ball thing and I drive him to practice. I sit there. So I'm invested financially. I'm also invested with my time, but then I'm also hearing everything that either he, the coach is saying, or if he's what he's not saying too, because of, you know, you and I seeing things maybe differently, but uh, than then uh, other parents, that's the challenge though. So the, the, for high school coaches, yeah, I want to coach my parents. Does that mean, do I, uh, do I invite them to practice? You know, do I have more one-on-ones with them uh, and one-on-ones, but also with their, with their kid also, uh, do I have maybe a zoom meeting where, Hey, parents, this is our culture. This is the things we're trying to live out. Like, it's, it's getting to that. Yeah, you kind of nailed it. The how. How do we do make that happen? But I love some of the points that you gave. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just give one thing. Like, it's going to look just like every practice looks different for different coaches. How is going to look different. 
but have a plan. Yeah. And hope is not a plan. And that's what most, <laughs> I hope my parents are supportive this year. Hope is not. So have a plan and just tell the parents the plan, like whatever it is, just yeah. like think about it and have a plan. Yeah. The Jamoni podcast is powered by Bology. What's your BSA score? The Bology skill assessment is the only verified skills metric endorsed by colleges to discover and develop the best talent for your team. This 10 minute, 100 shot test can be taken for free today on the Bology mobile app. Elevate your game. I've loved getting to learn from you and, and the way that you teach shooting over the years. So with, with individuals or even with a team aspect, how would you teach shooting confidence to your players? Ooh, so two, two answers to that as well. And then a bunch of sub points. This is just how my mind works. I'm organizing that. <laughs> so first, and you know this because you've taught it as well. Um, the number one place that confidence comes from is the work, the craft. And 90%, that's an arbitrary number. The vast majority of players that aren't confident just shouldn't be yet because they haven't done the work yep. and they haven't done the work in the right way. Because here's another, here's another thing that players, coaches, parents, you all have to understand. You understand this. Just putting in hours doesn't equal doing the work, right? Just being in the gym, shooting around. The work is working on your craft in such a way that there's going to be transfer over to the game. I want to go deeper into how of that, um, but before I do, I just want to go to the second place confidence comes from, and this is for the, the players that have done the work in the right way, and that is thinking about what you think about. Um, mm -hmm. I am going to come back to how to do the work, but let me just dive into this a little bit. Um, my dad's a professional golfer. Um, he's 65 years old. He is coming off of a back injury that has kept him out of golf for the last month. And it's been very, very hard for him. He's wondering if he's ever going to compete at a high level again. Mm. He's played on the PGA Tour, the Champions Tour. And it's, it, it was very, very painful for him emotionally. And it wrecked his confidence. He's done the work in wow. the right way. Um, because he had to walk off his last two tournaments because he couldn't swing. Um, he could not swing. He's like, is this it? I'm 65 years old. Is this it for me? Is, is this the end? Do I have it anymore? Will I ever be able to compete? Because he still plays in, in the young pro tournaments as well as the senior tournaments. And he was wondering if he's ever going to be able to compete again. He, over the past month, has been having a significant crisis of confidence. And for anyone that's ever had a significant crisis of confidence, you know that it ruins your whole life. It's all you can think about. You can't function. Your relationships suffer, right? We know this. Yeah, we no doubt. This. Even in, yeah, in coaching, I mean, yeah, it's amazing. My wife can always tell when uh, either I'm confident or I feel like we're moving in the right direction just by how I'm hanging out at home all day. So, yeah. You're exactly right. And so, so I got to caddy for him in the Washington Open over the past three days. We just finished yesterday, actually. Nice. Um, and this was his first tournament back, um, seeing if he could even play 18 holes, after going through this crisis of confidence, very emotional leading up to it, because this is it, right? And so I've caddied for him, and the entire tournament, he was talking to himself, walking down the fairway. This is who you are. This is what you do. You've been preparing your whole life for this. This is who I am. This is what you just saying it over and over to himself, 65 year old guy. So he was able to play through it. Um, going into the last day, he was five shots back of the leader, um, tied for second place actually, but this guy was just crushing it. Um, and then yesterday 
he bogeyed his first two holes, went seven shots back from the leader after the first two holes. And I'm there right with him, crisis of confidence. Mm. Like the, He's like, uh-oh, I, I don't have it anymore. I don't have it anymore, right? And he's, he's feeling nervous. And so he started to think, he's like, no, those thoughts are not going to serve me. Took mm. them captive, literally put them in a cage. And he said, Tyler, you need to say these things to me in between every single shot. Relax your body to relax your mind. This is who you are. This is who you are. You can do this. Stay target, right? So I'm saying it to him. Over the course of the round, he then went well, it went eight under from that point, finished six under, and ended up winning the Washington Open, beating a 29-year-old pro by uh, by two shots. That's incredible. Um, to, all to because all because Open, of you, right? man. All because you were there. Well, no, no, no. No, but like, but like, yeah. but like, but like he knows, right? You yeah. have to think about what you're thinking about. He's a, he's a guy that has done the work. Yep. Right. And so like, but, but even someone that's done the work, you've got to think about what you're thinking. It, it shows how delicate it is and how much you really have to fight, fight for the confidence. But the big distinction that you said, and I, the, the question I asked, okay, nobody's answered it incorrectly yet. So, and I'm not trying to ever trick yeah. anybody, but yeah. How do you teach shooting confidence? Well, first you can't, like you can't give them confidence because every player will know. If when they look in the mirror, like you can't lie to yourself all the way through. I know that I don't have the right to be confident. So yeah, you're you're right on the money, right step. But then it's amazing how, yeah, all of that experience, everything he's done, and he still has to fight through the same things that high school players, college players, NBA players, high school coaches call it. We all have to do that daily, that positive self-talk. Yeah. It does not go away. I mean, I've gotten to have some, I know this about nearly every pro, but there's an NBA player that has been in and out of the league over the past three years, has has been at the top of the top and has uh, has gotten cut from teams. And I've had insight, struggles with confidence daily. And that's not, that's not, that's the norm. That is the yeah. absolute norm. And so, so I guess like, it's okay. It's just okay. It's It's a fight. Um, but you, but you, you got to keep fighting. Um, if I go quick, Matt, can I go back to, because this is where 90% of players are. Can I go back to the work, the craft? Absolutely. All right, cool. I'm going to give four things. And so, so I, I teach this as a shooting system. It's called the savvy shooting system, savvy, wisdom, cleverness, intelligence, right? But it's spelled S-A-V-I. And, and that's all the systems I'm rolling out are, are savvy systems. Um, it's savvy shooting. And it's four things that are required to do the work right to actually gain confidence in shooting in a real game. And that's the thing. I think that too many shooting coaches, too many coaches in general, focus on getting practice makes. Getting practice makes. And players and coaches feel good when they get practice makes. Yeah. And I think what we've both observed is there's some shooters that are always just practice makers. And I think a lot of that comes back to the training. Um, and I, I'm also going to say this to preface it, if we're talking about teaching shooting in such a way that it's going to, and learning shooting in such a way that's going to actually be transferable uh, to a game. I don't want a shooter that shoots a high percentage on two shots a game. I do not want that shooter. That I, I have no interest in that player as a shooter, as a coach. And as a player, I wouldn't be interested in being that player. Like you're not a shooter if you're only shooting two threes a game, in my opinion, in my opinion. And so I think, I think that we have to completely change the focus of shooting. It's not just making, it's volume. So like when Duncan Robinson was, uh, was signed, I think you know this story, right? I, well, no, but I love, I, love, I love your thinking there. I don't know the story, but I love your thinking there because, yeah, it's, it's way more about volume. So keep going, keep going. 
anyway, when Duncan, yeah, you, you, you know, like when Duncan Robinson was, um, got signed by Miami, he got sent to the G League until he could get off 12 frees per game. And Spolster was like, I'm not bringing you up until you can get off 12 frees. And Duncan Robinson was like, what? I've never done that. <laughs> right? Like, I, let alone at this level. And Spolster was like, you're no use to me being a 45% shooter on two or three attempts per game. Right? So go get him off. What a great assignment, right? Wow. So once yeah. he could get, so that's when he, yeah. So that's when he become one of the best off the move shooters, not just a spot up shooter, but off of zooms and gets and DHOs and all this stuff. And that's when he developed that game. So let me go into the savvy shooting system just super quick. I'll pause after each letter. Well, real, real quick though, reason. real quick. Yeah. You, you got to explain why the 12 is hard because I don't think it's just like, I, I don't shoot that much, but you actually have to work really hard to get to dangerous positions to be, but then, but then, yeah, not just taking the shots. The war of your mind will come in a lot there because let's say you miss two or three. Most players will say, "Today's not my day. I'm going to cool down. I'm going to do something different." Getting to twelve isn't just getting open for twelve; it's pushing through the negative moments. So good. I, that's it. That's it. And I'm glad you dug into that. I, sh I, I will. I'm taking notes right now um, because that's just so bang on. And sometimes. I think we overlook that as coaches or trainers. It's like we said, do it, just do it. But like that, it is a battle. I mean, shoot, even uh, any coaches listening to still play pickup. Like you change your game if you've missed two shots in a row. That's right. Right? And Drive so in a day. Someone to Drive, I'm backing them down yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get a post up real yeah. quick. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a great point. All right, go to All Savvy. All right, so how do we train? Yep. All right, Savvy, S. So here it is. It's first. S stands for speed. Most coaches, players focus on accuracy first, slow and close to the hoop. I disagree. I think the first thing, like if, I, if we're talking about a shooter's journey, we're starting them young, we're starting them early, whatever. I only want them to go get their shot off fast, 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 fast. So where does speed come from? Every good coach listening knows it comes from your feet. It comes from your shot prep and the speed of your feet. It really has very little to do with your upper body. But right. most coaches start teaching shooting with upper body focus. Forget upper body focus. I don't care. They're little and weak and their shot's going to change anyway if they ever become good. But what's not going to change is speed. So speed comes from, yeah, fast footwork, which we teach shooting from the ground up. But speed also comes with just an intent to, like, get right. rid of the ball, get rid yeah. of the ball, because speed creates power as well. Right. Here's the third place speed comes from, and you hit it is movement. Movement. Right. Like you get to be able to get shots off, you have to be able to shoot off of movement. That's a speed thing. That's where I would always start players. So from there, get 12 shots off, go over 12, you know, especially in youth basketball. But we should focus on speed, 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 and not even care about makes um, early on. Uh, give me your feedback on that. Tear it apart. Well, not going to tear it apart at all. I, I, I'm glad you start with that because we do a green, yellow, red shooting game. And it's 90 shots or four minutes, whatever comes first. And a few years ago, I was getting very frustrated with dudes only shooting 60 shots out of the 90, making a little bit more, but shooting at a slower pace. And in their mind, it was, well, if I slow down and I focus and I'm comfortable, I'll make more. So what I started to do is I outlawed. I said, I don't care what your number is. It doesn't count unless you get to 90. So the, the, the first, cause I just need that speed. And once we get to that speed, I tell them the makes will come and we can work from there. So it's always nice when you, you and I are right on the same page, but no, that, that's great. <laughs> Green team. Uh, no, absolutely. And you know, another thing I, I love um, about 
the the speed piece is you set it comfortable because very few shots in a game are ever comfortable and by focusing on speed you get transference to actual game makes because you don't get to slow down in the game and hey, could you not actually defend <laughs> right like and so like that's why players miss, they miss shots in games primarily because of speed and pressure that's yeah. it and so every training session needs to have that so that's yes um and it starts there and that's a whole program so then secondarily, once they hit a speed benchmark, and for different ages and stages, there's going to be a different speed benchmark for sure, and it keeps going up. The A does stand for accuracy, and that's when you start to really dig on accuracy without sacrificing speed. Um, now, of course, we're going to focus on accuracy in close to the basket, and we're going to focus on techniques, and there's 100 techniques, and mine are a little bit more out there, um, but accuracy would be second. That's the most important part of it um, for me. Um, any thoughts on the accuracy piece? I don't need, I don't think we have time to go deep into it. Well, unless you I, think we do. I had a question for you because I, I'm thinking about um, maybe younger players, but even walking into the gym, I mean, it, just so that I don't misunderstand, because like there is an idea of when you walk into the gym, start close, see the ball go through the net, feel that joy of what you're doing again you know, maybe like braces for your, for your shot. You're trying to just make sure everything stays tight. Cause like, I have a, I have a guy coming in that's going to play at SMU uh, played here for a few years. He's coming in this afternoon and he, he's even without realizing it, his shots, his shot has changed a little bit in, over time and not necessarily all positive. So we start close and we start building up in part of that self-talk as well. Uh, would you say that it's be better just, Hey, get out there and start moving and start shooting fast. Or am I, you know, is it more situational than that? Yeah. The micro answer is it's more situational than that. Like if I was working with him, we would have, we'd create a specific program for him to address yep. where he was at, at that point in time. Yeah. You know I mean? That's why it's so important, like to, to find an expert. Right. Uh, but if we're going macro, um, I don't think, I, I don't think someone needs to start a workout far and fast but they need to prioritize. There needs to be a large that. chunk of it that that's what, so if it's a pie chart, the, that's the small part is remembering what you do and then feeling really good. And now we're going to push you for the large part. I get that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so, and that's accuracy. And, and then the V um, is variance. And this is, this is key for training. If you look at the best shooters, at any level, in any gender, in any stage, their 25-foot three-pointer actually does not look exactly like their 15-foot pull-up. Their off-the-catch stationary three does not look, I mean, there's similarities, but does not look like their off-the-dribble pull-up from yeah. three. Their off-the-move shot looks different. So there's variance, and hardly ever in a game will you get two shots in a row from the same spot without movement in between? And very rarely in a game will you get two shots in a row from the same spot. And very rarely in the game will you get the same type of shot. And yet that's how we practice. Mm. And so that's, I think, a huge challenge for transfer. And so I believe one must practice variable shots, know that shots are different, and have a plan, and that's going to get into our last letter, have a plan of what shot you're going to prioritize to really lock into um, knowing that not all shots are created equal, right? And then also switch between them constantly in your training. And I would rarely, rarely, there's a small portion, but rarely have players shoot 
10 shots in a row from the same spot, same type without moving. But that's how we shoot, especially in team practices. Yeah. Um, and that's when we're like, why aren't we making shots in games? So you don't have the same variance um, that you do in games where you have to go play defense or run up and down the floor or hear a play call or think about a box out or whatever. Yeah, more games. Any, yeah, any, any feedback on that one? Oh, sorry, go oh, ahead. Just, just more games that, yeah, from, from shot to shot or at least after a few – that like, um, what am I thinking? Uh, thirty-seven point drill, where you catch, shoot a three, catch rip to your right, catch rip to your left, go to the next spot, shoot a three. Yeah. So that what that does that uh, that stops there. It's just like training. You don't want your brain to start being able to map yeah. it out and get comfortable. You got to keep it guessing. And so I, I definitely see that. That's great, man. Yeah. Well, let me give let me give coaches this one, and we could spend a whole podcast on this and I consult with coaches to help them map this out for their offense. It's called action-based shooting or it falls under this action-based development. Great chess players are able to chunk similar chess situations to make quick decisions because they've seen those similar situations so many times that they don't have to dive into each thing. But if you throw a situation out to a great chess player that doesn't actually happen in a chess game, they're not going to be able to remember where the pieces are. And so it's the same thing for shooters. Most shooters get shots out of game-like actions and most players will get shots out of similar actions the majority of their shots now actions can be like a floppy a zoom get chin miami horns whatever action or actions can be off transition get you know action or drive and kick action whatever happens like your offense is probably different than a princeton offense right yeah. and yeah. so we should shoot out of actions so if 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 I'm a primary if I'm a primary ball handler and I'm coming off high ball screens the majority of the time, then I need to see those same reads on the tag defender over and over and over again so I can make the decision quicker and quicker and quicker. Yeah. And I got to make those shots out of that action. So all shooting should be out of actions, and then you don't have to spend as much time on your offense. Do two and three player actions with multiple balls, getting shots out of the actions, and that takes care of the variance. And what you could argue is because you're. Like we, we do, we do pride ourselves in 45 minutes of shooting a day, but if that 45 minutes of shooting are, are literally actions, feelings, places that we don't replicate in games, I'm not saying it's a waste of time, but it's not as impactful as if we get 45 minutes of shooting every day at least, and they're out of, you know, pushes and pulls because we do very much, uh, it's everything comes from the paint and it goes out. So a lot of catch three. So some games I, I see it, uh, catch threes, as a, but different movements and I, I think I think there's a lot of gold there to how it will uh change or reframe your skill work with your players absolutely absolutely so the last one I, we don't have to go deep into it's just index index so an index is measurement which is measuring everything like just doing 45 minutes of shooting without the measurement scoring on all your shooting tests, a shooting ladder for all your players. Um, without indexing, you're missing out on margins, margins of improvement. Because when someone's coming down to the last 10 seconds of a shooting session, if there's no measurement, there's no focus. Right. But if they're at 36 and their all-time record's 37, it increases focus, it increases pressure, it increases speed, all things that lead to better performance. If you aren't indexing everything, you're missing the mark on shooting individually or as a team. Right on the money. I'd also I'd add for You're coaches that up. I'd ask for I'd add for I, I there is something about talking about shooting that I'm I'm sorry. For me it's more exciting than talking about defense. But um that some coaches that are cringing right now. But uh 
That's because you're a bucket. That's why. <laughs> Four and a half points a game, three years in college. But um, three uh, uh, shot selection. When you when you're charting things, a role identification. When you're charting things, and you have players constantly in games they're familiar with, and in 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 numbers or ranges that they know what is high efficiency and what is low efficiency. When you're in a group and you start to okay, we're we're coming and we just did Ray Allen. How many ladders? Who got more than two? Who got more than three? And hands start to drop. And those people start to look around and see he's always at four. He's always at four. It What it does is it makes the conversations that you have to have with your players of this is why you should shoot. This is why you shouldn't shoot. This is what it makes. the It almost goes away to where they get it. Like uh, that dude's always at 60 or more in green, yellow, red. And I am always at 30. I'm kind of open. He's really open. I'm going to one more. It just yeah. helps with that too. Yeah, bang on. Raw identification. Just to plug that and stamp it, that's probably the weakest area I observe coaches because that's what I do now is I go around and observe coaches and coach and give feedback. Weakest coaching area um, in every coach I observe. Really poor role identification, low time spent on communicating it, and no shared or common language about roles within your system, offense, or program. Um, focus on that. Love it. The Jamoti Podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high-quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities, and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. One of the toughest things is uh, in the locker room after, directly after a loss. What are some advice or what are some things that you, how would you approach that moment with your players? I am so glad you asked that. Do not have any sort of a meeting or say a single word. There you go. We just, we just solved it. I was expecting There's from you, I was expecting from you, say less, be short, but <laughs> nothing that's, 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 that's more extreme. What's the point? I don't yeah. get the point. So, so all right, I'll go in on this one. Uh, I, I apologize. Let's go. I, ho I hope you, I hope you have engaged listeners that want to <laughs> at me. If you want to at me at Tyler Costin, T Y L E R C O S T O N on Twitter, let's do this in public because I really <laughs> believe in this one, but I would love to listen in here. First off post game talks, I think are a massive waste of time mm. just in general, win or loss. You've got, all of your stakeholders, everybody that's invested, you know, parents, family, boyfriends, girlfriends, everyone just sitting out there waiting for you, twiddling their thumbs, okay? You can't do it without them. Just get the kids out there and let them go eat some food. Second, no one's listening to you. No one cares. They're thinking about their stats. They're ready to go. They're tired. They're hungry. They're sad or they're elated, whatever. It's the worst time to try to communicate anything of value. Hmm. Third, you're clueless. Right after a game, you don't know what actually happened. Right. You have your revolting hardcore. You yeah. haven't broken down the tape. You might say some stuff that's wrong, that's going to get proved wrong in film afterwards, You and you will lose trust. I think in, in general, they're useless, um, and especially after a loss. So uh, that's, a short, that's a short answer that uh, <laughs> maybe – I might need to do a thread on that one this Friday. I'm glad you asked that. No, I, I – I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. Uh, I had a coach tell me that you get three minutes, three minutes at halftime, 
three minutes after a game. And, and part of that is, is yeah, what are you really going to say or do the, oh, so we, we've kind of, I've, I've, I, I'm, I'm a more along your lines than you might think. Uh, a lot of times after games, I just stay on the floor, uh, even at a home game. I stay on the floor, I huddle us up, I give them a few things, and it's rarely negative, win or lose. Um, it's more that I, I love watching you play along those lines because that's what they rarely hear. Um, mm -hmm. But but or maybe maybe a redirect to, hey, what can we control? How we show up tomorrow. But it is very short. The only, the only thing I'm, I was wondering is, so we, obviously we cannot control you got the parent in the stands that can't wait for their son to get there to either say, how how did you play that way? How could you do that? You're not playing hard. Or what's wrong with your coach? He's an idiot. What's our what's our what are we even trying to do here? So in that that there is that idea to me that you've got that little moment where you can shape and direct a little bit of, hey, we played really well. And even though we didn't come up with a win today, doesn't mean that it's a failure. And tomorrow we're gonna get better in this area, whatever, if you could, like you said, if you're not resulting, if you could see clearly enough, it, could it help with that conversation they're about to have? Or they're going to have the conversation they're going to have regardless of what you say. What a great question. It was Let a long question. question. It was a long question. <laughs> yeah. What's keeping... I'm just using you as an example because we're here. I'm not going in on you. We're, we're, we're thinking like macro, but like don't attack you. me. Please um, don't attack me. Right. <laughs> What's keeping you from doing a post game presser? Other than the fact that there's no, no press at your school, but like what's keeping you from having a space and sitting down where the parents and players, if they want fans, right. Um, and some some young high school reporter kid asks you some questions, and why not why not shape that what you just said shape that mindset for all your stakeholders because it's gonna get lost if they if the kids try to translate that's keeping the parents on the outside keeping the the fans on the outside right why not do a presser say hey here's here's how we as a program are responding to this it's incredible that you said that uh, uh, the same coach that told me the three minutes and three minutes. I asked him one time, I said, well, what would you do? He had been in for 30 years. What would you do different? Literally, one of the things he said was, I would have a post-game, and I don't know if he used press conference, but meeting where he would bring donuts, food, some type of snack, but sit down with parents and unpack it and talk his, talk his way through his decisions, the why behind it. And I, I've never heard another person say that. One, I've never done it, so I didn't take his advice, but I've never heard another person <laughs> say that. So the truth, my, my true, honest answer is fear yes. of the emotions that may come up out of me, that may come up out of them. Like if a parent that I know, you can tell from, from a look after a game, that I know is, and they're coming at me with something, am I mature enough? man enough, whatever enough to diffuse it, stay cool. Um, I think after wins would be pretty easy, but even then, you know, you got the few parents at the, at the end of the bench that are still not satisfied or don't understand why. But so I think it's an awesome idea. I'd love to hear if somebody has done that 
or do that? And, and what's the how behind it? How do they actually make it happen? Even down to where do they do it at? Do they bring food and beverages? Uh, and how long does it take? But I see how it could be beneficial. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I, it, it's the fear thing. It's funny. I just wrote down on my notepad here, courage before you even said that. Yeah. It would take incredible courage and vulnerability. Um, let me, let me just dig in on that one real quick. I, uh, I've gone through, not in, not in that, because I haven't actually coached a team in the last eight years, um, but I've been in a leadership position over a team of people um and i've been in situations where we've lost our team mm -hmm. and you know stakeholders have questioned you know decisions uh, I, and so i think it would be similar and it, yep. was, it was it was very painful and required a lot of courage to to say let's talk this out um and how i first handled it at the beginning was probably wrong um as because i because i was really confident in the way that my team went about it and we lost, but I was confident in the decisions we made. I, I had all of my data to back it up and all of my arguments, you know what I mean? And, and these people that were throwing stones from the outside, they weren't there doing the work every day. They have no idea. Very similar to parents, right? Yeah. Um, and then as I went through it, kind of towards the end, um, I just like broke down, got emotional and, you know, just, just was very humble and, and just, you know, apologize um promise to give my best effort in the future and then like at the end of that you know these other stakeholders are like oh wow their hearts just soften and they're like you know what humble tyler is my favorite tyler is what they said you know and, and, I, and I and i was like what i feel like i'm weak and like I, why would you ever have confidence in me again and you know what i mean but 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 they said no and and i, I just would throw that out there to coaches because i think it's it's maybe a taboo to just say like I don't, know. I don't know what happened. I got to go and I got to study the tape um, and figure it out. But I can guarantee you, I'm going to be spending time on this, you know, and here's what I'm going to, you know. So I, I think there's a place for that in there. The food and drinks might encourage people to stay too long. Uh, I don't know. But take uh, your, right? take but, your but sack lunch like, and go. Exactly. <laughs> I think also like having ground rules, like the press isn't like everyone gets to ask questions. That's right. right? You know, it's just like, I've got a prepared statement. I'm going to tell you what I would tell our team if we did a post-game thing about our mindset and our approach going through. It's just a prepared statement. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then take 24 hours and you can email me a question after 24 hours of hearing my prepared statement. That's it. I'm on board with that plan. I like that idea. I think you have to go into it with a mindset of already, okay, I'm deciding one, I am going to be vulnerable and I'm going to be authentic. So the idea of I'm going in here to show how, uh, there's, there's nothing that can affect me and I'm bulletproof. Like you can't do that. And then the second thing is you got to decide or know that you will not change everyone's perception or, or I don't even know if yeah. maybe that that's not even the goal. Don't even go in with a goal of my goal is to make all of these people happy with every decision I just made. I think just if, if you can help provide them with a little more clarity of the why behind what you're doing. You know, like you said from the very beginning, it might bring them into the culture, give them more, uh, you know, investment. Like, 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 just like what I feel like the the select parents feel with their players, they, with their coaches. There, I have watched him talk about this in practice. I know the why, so I get it more. Yeah, that's huge. 
Yeah, no, that, that's good. I'm, I'm excited. Maybe you'll guinea pig it for us. Um, but I, I'm, I'm going to talk to my wife about, about it because she is very wise and she'd be like, man, that is the worst idea. Who told that's you that? Always, and I'll say Tyler told me that. She's like, absolutely. And Jill, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I received that. I received that. I'm, I'm going I'm to propose that to some of the coaches I'm consulting with as well. Yeah. Um, I think and, it's a great uh, we'll, idea. We'll get, we'll get some data on that. I think you. If you were starting a program over today, you know, you just got the coaching job and you're going to come in and set your culture, what would be some of your non-negotiables? Well, if I got a program today, the first thing I would do is fire myself as the head coach and move myself into a general manager position because I don't actually think I'm a great coach and I don't think I have a lot of coaching experience. Um, I think I'm a really good trainer of coaches um, and provide really good leadership and feedback. So that would be my first goal. And <laughs> okay. then my second goal would be to, I'm being serious, um, would be to co-create the culture with the stakeholders because any culture that is created in a bubble by a single person is only going to be owned by you. Mm. And powerful cultures have many owners. Everyone feels ownership in it. And I, I think that's probably the most important thing. So as they, humans. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, no, faith, go ahead, go ahead. At faith, so Jamodi, Jamodi is our culture, uh, and and mm -hmm. not not very creative, but I, I each letter means something different, you know. So joy, attitude, motivation, opportunity, determination, and impact. But so because I don't want to be the only person just driving this home. You will have joy. You will. What are your thoughts on? Okay, today, this week, guys, we're talking about joy. But first, before, what does joy mean to you? How are, as a program, are we going to show up with joy? What does it actually look like, sound like, feel like? Is that a good way to, as a coach, I am driving the culture. This is, this is the choice that I've made. This is what it is. But give them more ownership of how we live it out and what it means to us. So before I answer that with my opinion, if I may, because we're friends, if I was working with you and consulting with you, I, the next question I would ask you is, have you asked your team if they think it's a good way? Mm. And, and, and then take that, that, take that information in. No, I have you not know, asked I, them. I, I, I just. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I think it would, because yeah. regardless, you may not change, but you'll probably be more informed. And the worst decisions are made from a lack of information. Yep. And I think that's just that, you know, when I work with coaches, that's the biggest blind spot I see is high assumption and low information on some things that we hold the strongest beliefs in. So I, I mean, Jamodi is great. Joy is great that you are asking them to help co-build how Jamodi looks for this group is great. That's, that's all great in my, you know, in my opinion. Um, but just, I think the next step would be ask them. That's a and great, regardless yeah, great of point. what they say, and it probably won't even change, they're going to get more ownership when you ask them. That's right. You know, and, and let me give another example. Yeah, let me give another example of this going back to your red, yellow, green, um, when people raise their hands and everybody sees the scores and so they understand roles a little bit that way. That's a great step. You know, if, I, if we were working together, I'd ask you, what would be the next step down that path? of shared and so one 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 thing that i offer up to coaches is a weekly or bi-weekly survey where they actually get to fill out okay rank everyone on this list your whole team of 15 
on the shooter you trust most nice to take a shot at the end of the game to the shooter you trust least rank the rank everyone um joy right jamodi joy rank everyone on this list who do you have the most joy playing with and who do you have the least joy playing with rank it now that's information for you and your coaching staff can help us expose some blind spots yeah that's a minor benefit the greater benefit is they feel like they've got a voice and they're empowered and they're co-creating the decisions. And, you know, a lot of times they, players just don't feel heard. Coach is the expert, coach has the authority, coach has the power, and I'm just here and I'm frustrated with what they've put upon me as my role or whatnot. But just by filling out that thing for five minutes every other week, it's unbelievable how much more invested people are in the process. So I, I guess that that's more, it's more of a, of a how and less of a what. Jamodi shape savvy whatever yeah you know yeah. that's a what but how right uh that's a that's a great nugget i'm thinking of how i just basically railroad every practice with guys here's my plan it's a great plan get on board with my plan don't question my plan but you know what you'll be better at the end anyway uh, so i i thank you yeah. for and that they will. yeah and they will. <laughs> but yeah. but you're right no but is there a better way is there a way to bring them into it more feel like they're part of the process not just a not just a, a machine that has to be turned on and go. So thank you for sharing that, man. I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. What's next? Is, is that the only one out of your non-negotiables? You fire yourself and then you know anything else? <laughs> oh, is that what the question was? I, <laughs> I think we, I um, think but, we totally went off a different thing, but anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me, let me give you another one. Um, development over everything so once i'm the general manager um that is going to be our our top priority is development over everything and so that would apply to the coaching staff that would apply to individual players um, that would apply to our team practices is that when it comes down to make a decision are we winning this game or are we developing? Are we um, going for short-term games or long-term games? You know, I just want to, I believe in playing long-term games with long-term people. And so we're going to be development over everything. And that's going to be our win. Um, that'd probably be the other non-negotiable because the, I mean, if you look at the highest levels, the NBA is a player development league. Mm -hmm. There is, there's no, there's no quicker way to improving a team than by getting better players. That's it. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, you're not going to improve your team faster through a system, you know, or uh, a technology or, you know, so better players make your program better. So that's why we'd be a, a player development over everything. There, there's, I, I can just feel or I'll sense like more. there's, there's friction, oh, there's friction with culture uh, right now of when it all costs. You know, I think some coaches maybe think that if they don't, if that's not the the main goal or the main thing, that their job could be in jeopardy. I was talking, but uh, but then also, you know, I, I see that the one in the development, there's there's more freedom there for players to take chances, to take risks, so where they can improve. I was talking with the Greenville head coach George Barber, the guy that they scored 200 points uh, in a game a few years ago. I was just talking mm -hmm. with him, and and he he talked about de-emphasizing winning so that freedom can flourish like to me that i i see it and that mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense but what's the balance like you're the head coach you know your job at that school the job that you provide for your family is based a lot of times on wins and losses so we're about development but what's that fine line 
with not de-emphasizing winning or still valuing it. Yeah. I don't know what the fine line is, <laughs> but, I but I would say that to have sustained success, you're going to have to develop, hmm. have sustained success. And if you don't want to be in a situation, I do believe this. If you as a coach don't want to be in a situation where you're worried about your job every year, then you need to invest in building something that's long-term. Um, and, I, you know, it's going to hurt now or it's going to hurt later, like with most things in life, right? Making the easy decision leads to a really hard road, but a lot of times making hard decisions can lead to an easier road. Um, and that's, that's one of those really hard decisions. I mean, because, like, you might – recruiting at the college level right you if, if you don't want to be in that same place every single year where you're going out and hustling for a recruit and over recruiting and maybe making some tough decisions about how you're recruiting in order to keep your job you're going to have to develop a program um where you're not in that position um you know all the way down to the high school level if you aren't developing a feeder program every single year you're going to be panicking and trying to change your identity and what you do just to just to just to win some games um, and so I, I, I just wouldn't want to live life that way yeah. long-term. Yeah. Coaches, the one thing that every team needs is competent shooters. The last eight years at Grapevine Faith, our teams have averaged 354 made threes each season. I love getting to share with coaches how our shooters train and more importantly, how they think. If you would like to enhance your shooting culture at your school, contact me directly at jamodipodcast at gmail.com. So you, you keep talking about how you haven't coached a team in eight years, but you have coached a team, but you've coached players and you've coached coaches over the years. So you, you, you're probably, um, I think we're both, we're both as close to the same age, 39, 40, where, where are you at there? I, I just turned 40, 40. Thank you very much. You're, you're a, you're a good looking 40 year old man for sure. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to check with my wife on that. There's a lot yeah. of wisdom in that area. Yeah. <laughs> If you could, if you could go back and start over in coaching and even just maybe in philosophy or things that you, you've done, what would you do different? I would work harder to put myself around the absolute best and get around experts. Um, you know, I, I just found people that were more expert than me. Um, and, and honestly, I... I didn't do the work to go and get around the absolute best because as I've gotten around the absolute best, oh my gosh, is there a difference? Yeah. And you know, so many coaches, I, 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 I'm just going to be honest with my opinion and I apologize if I offend people. I think so many coaches are actually lazy, but they're hardworking lazy, you know, like they're hardworking in that they grind and put a lot of hours in, but maybe it's, maybe it's a laziness of um, maybe, maybe it's a, a laziness of audacity most coaches aren't audacious enough to go and put themselves out there to take a risk and go and find a way to get around um, a coach K or an NBA coach, or, you know, you got to go find an absolute expert. And, and guess what? Here's another thing. And you know, this Matt. just because someone's coaching at a highly paid or compensated level doesn't necessarily make them an expert. Yeah. Uh, but there are experts out there, experts in coaching coaches, because being an expert in coaching a team doesn't make you an expert in coaching a coach. 
-hmm. I would have found an absolute expert in coaching a coach. And then here's the second part. And this is, this is part of the laziness or just resource piece, invest in it, invest, 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 because anything worth, anything worth your, your time is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. I mean, you get what you pay for. There is a a dearth. There's so much information for free online right now. It's unbelievable. Getting information is not hard, right? You don't have to pay for it. But what you do have to pay for is expertise. Expertise is not for free. And so I would have put myself around absolute experts. I would would have invested every spare penny in growing myself early, um, earlier in my career. I think those Mm -hmm. are two things I would have done different. I think that having that growth mindset and not losing it, uh, I don't know. I'm not saying I've lost it, but there's definitely been seasons in my life where I'm more open to learning new things. And then for for some other reason, there's seasons where, you know what, I've got this figured out. Maybe success does that a little bit because in your, in your moments of yep. failure, like I need something, somebody give me something, but sustaining that, sustaining that attitude over the long haul. Uh, I think that's something to work towards. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's this one line that I just both tied up with and examine this. I, I've gone back and forth on this line. I think like the, the, the quotes, the concepts, the philosophies, the ideas that are the most impactful are the ones that you're not really sure if you believe and you got to chew on a little bit. Um, and this is one of those lines. Um, I'm still chewing on, but I guess that makes it good. Um, to improve is to change and to perfect is to change constantly. To improve is to change and to perfect is to change constantly. And I would just throw that out to coaches. Um, like, are you changing? Like, I think, I think it's, it, it, it's internally logically sound that you can't improve without change, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but then the second part is the part that's really hard for me is like to perfect is to change constantly. But I think I'm more aligned with it because our environment's always changing. Yeah. Constantly. The game, our team, the people we're leading, school we're at, right? And if we're not also changing, how can we be perfectly positioned to lead in that situation? Um, so that's where I'm at with it right now. And so I think that speaks to, you know, coaches getting comfortable. But let, let's go right into the speed round because I'm excited to hear some of your some of your answers here. 30 seconds or so, quick questions. First thing that pops in your head. Favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, I don't like ice cream. You're the first one. For high school, <laughs> shot clock or no shot clock? Yes, and 24 seconds. Texting or talking? Depends on my relationship. Favorite, ho- favorite holiday? Easter. Invisibility or super strength? Super strength. If those are my only two options. Those are. If, if, <laughs> since, since you're, <laughs> uh, since you're not an ice cream guy, favorite junk food? I'm going to go with, I really like savory things. So maybe like, uh, like a jalapeno cheddar bagel or biscuit. <laughs> Next, favorite NBA player of all time? 
Steve Nash. Love that. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? On average, one. But when things get crazy, we might get two. <laughs> How many hours of sleep do you need a night? You know, I, I do my best to get eight plus hours of sleep. Okay. Last one, probably most important, Godfather or okay. Star Wars? Star Wars all day, including all animated series and spinoffs. Nice. Including the Lego Star Wars. So, okay? No doubt. Lego Star Wars. Star Wars, Wars yeah. The Clone Wars, you've gone all through those and everything, like the storylines. and Absolutely. I mean, I'm on the Bad Batch right now. Haven't checked it out yet. I knew that, you know, most coaches, one thing I appreciate about you is your honesty and your authenticity because most coaches will say Godfather just because they think they have to to either sound manly, cool, or deep or something. But it's a rare guy that will say Star Wars because I'm a Star Wars guy too. So I just, uh, the connection is strong. Yeah, we're vibing. We're, we're vibing. We're vibing. Like, you're telling me you didn't get bored in Godfather 2 and start fast-forwarding? You're lying! That's right. That's right. And every it all comes down to finding the light and trying to stamp out the dark. So that is every day. Absolutely. So, hey, real, real quick, man. Well, I think I think that's such a great question because it talks about – sorry, real quick. You can edit yeah. this part out. But I think that's such a great question because in Godfather, it tends to glorify some darkness. It tends to – like it, it kind of makes, makes some evil heroic, whereas in Star Wars, the lines are absolute even though they tried to kind of blur it here towards the, the end of, uh, of, the, of the movies, but it's, it's like light versus dark and light is heroic. So I think it says a lot about a person's soul. So the exactly. Let's just say they are really letting us into what's in their heart. It's way beyond Absolutely. the movie. So <laughs> Way beyond the movies. Or we, we're reading too much into it. Either of, way. of course you would go super deep on a speed round question. So I appreciate that. Hey, real quick, man. Uh, tell tell uh, me and everybody, like one, how how we can contact you, but also a little bit about you know the savvy and the things that savvy or savvy, savvy, savvy. Like, oh, it's a savvy. Movie. Yeah, I like that. Uh, tell us a little bit about how coaches can can get connected with you because I think it's really good stuff. Yeah, man, appreciate it. So, uh, so savvy is Italian for wisdom, and so I really want to bring practical wisdom to coaches. Like you said, I haven't been coaching a team for the past eight years. And so for the past 15 years, I've gotten to travel around and just accumulate what I think is other people's best stuff and I will share it. And so you can contact me. Twitter is my favorite. I think it's a wonderful learning platform. You curate your timeline at Tyler Coston, T-Y-L-E-R-C-O-S-T-O-N. My DMs are open. I'm here to help. Um, you can go to tylercoston.com and see the different consulting packages I do or I come into a clinic for your team. And uh, I'm, I'm locking in on my three systems, race and space offense, lock left defense, and savvy shooting, um, because I think those are the three most important parts of the game of basketball, and I put all my best stuff in there. So uh, hit me up, email me if you want, at uh, CoachTylerCoston at Gmail, and would love to serve if I can. Well, my friend, I loved having you on there, getting to learn from you again, and just talk hoops with you. I just really appreciate your time and, and, and just helping us all grow, man. My pleasure. The only way this could have been better is if we were playing some pickup afterwards, but we'll have to save that for the next time where we're seeing each other. Pickup at Faith, where I'm sore for the next three days after you made us play for like three on three for two hours. I just was not prepared. <laughs>
Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.